It is so good to be up here with you this morning. My name is Joel Bussell. I am on staff here at SOMA, but for the last seven years, I've been a covenant member here at SOMA. And I just want to take the chance because I believe we all live in a deficit of love, of relational love with people, why I'm face to face with you this morning to say to you that I love you, that I enjoy you, and that I count an immense privilege that I get to serve you, however imperfectly, as we are seeking to be faithful together as a body of Christ. This morning I have the large task of speaking to you about the fruit of the Spirit, which is faithfulness, of which there is no page in the Bible that doesn't talk about it. If you can find one, which there might be, I didn't actually read every page to look for it, but if you can find one, I'll take you out to lunch, because if you were to flip through every page in your Bible, it is a book on faithfulness. But my prayer this week as I prepared was this, that and you, maybe you've, some of you that know me may have heard me say this before. My desire, my prayer, my longing is to be faithful and full of faith as I'm up here with you this morning. To be faithful first to God, and that's my prayer for you, but then faithful to you. But then to be full of faith. It seems redundant, but it's not. To be full of faith that God's word and his spirit are going to do a work far more than the words that come out of my mouth as I just kind of chip away, I, I seek to do a tiny bit of this beautiful masterpiece of God's faithful love to us in Christ Jesus. And I know that we have prayed already this morning, but I just want to ask the Spirit to, to speak to us this morning. So I'm going to pray again. We're not gonna, we're not gonna, I'm going to wear out your prayer muscles this morning. But I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath. I'm going to pray and ask that the Spirit would empower us this morning to understand faithfulness and to live it out. Jesus, we have a simple prayer. Your spirit is faithfulness. It is lots of other things, but it is no less than faithfulness. And so, God, would this morning, as we're in your word, would you show us you? Would you show us yourself? Would you show us ourself? Would you show us our Savior? And would you make the word come alive? I've got a slide this morning. You might have seen this. Uh, there was a man named Peter Davis who graduated from Harvard who uh, spoke in front of his peers at graduation. And with perfect comedic timing spoke about the need to be dedicated to something. You'll see this. I'm sure many of you have had this experience. It's late at night, and you start browsing Netflix, looking for something to watch. You scroll through different titles. You even read a few reviews. But you just can't commit to watching any given movie. And suddenly, it's been 30 minutes, and you're stuck in infinite browsing mode. And so you just give up. You're too tired to watch anything now. And so you cut your losses and you fall asleep. And he pauses. He, he waits for the crowd to kind of wait in suspense. And then he says, I've come to believe this is the defining characteristic of our generation. Keeping your options open. And the whole, uh, all of his classmates erupt in laughter because they know it's true. And then he says this. There's a philosopher, Zygmunt Bauman. He calls it liquid modernity. We never want to commit to any one identity, one place, or community, and so we remain like liquid in a state that can adapt to fit any future shape. Liquid modernity is infinite browsing mode, but for everything in our lives. He actually just wrote a book based off this speech. You can pick it up. It seems really good, but just go home this afternoon and watch it. I could play it this morning and walk off the stage, and it would say everything that I need to say, but I like to talk, so I'm going to stay up here for a little bit longer. 
I believe this perfectly sums up the real pain points that we live today. Keeping our options open. This has left us all in a desperate need for faithfulness, but lacking it in every crucial arena of our life. He goes on to say that we just need to pick a show and be committed to something and to experience real joy and accomplish something of worth. But my faithful and true friend, John Webster, who's here in the back today, he's going to feel awkward that I called him out. When we were speaking this week, just felt like the call to faithfulness is just overwhelming today. Because we live in a world where the decision to be faithful is not always clear. And yet the demand for faithfulness is overwhelming. We live in a world, though, where faithfulness is discouraged, it's mocked, and not rewarded. And yet, we're rapidly becoming a world where faithfulness is our only hope. A few definitions. You can't talk about it without defining what we're talking about. So the definition of faithfulness is steadfast in affection or allegiance. It's firm in adherence to promises or an observance of duty. It's true to the facts. It's loyal. But you can't really understand a word unless you know the inverse. So if we're going to flip that around, I want you to think about faithlessness. The definition of faithlessness is not true to allegiance or duty, not to be relied upon, or disloyal. You know, as I pondered, what could we talk about? What does the Lord have for us this morning? For the Spirit's work to encourage us to renewed faithfulness, I asked God to show me, really, what's at the root of this tree that undermines our faithfulness? our steadfastness, our trustworthiness. Because I'm assuming you all know that you need to stand up for something, to be faithful to God first and people second. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything new. So I'm not going to tell you anything new. I'm going to spend my breath and my words to go after the roots that I believe that undermine our faithfulness. And here's the best I could come up with. What undermines our need for faithfulness and leads ultimately to our lack of faithfulness is love or the lack thereof in our life. It's not necessarily about trying harder or doubling down or digging in or sticking to your guns, although certainly there are times when we need that. No, I believe faithfulness is about love and our need for it. Faithfulness in my opinion, is about the insatiable need for love being met in Christ, which leads to a sense of safety and security and intimacy that compels our hearts to be faithful. Faithful to him, which then overflows out of us tactfully, intentionally, appropriately to be faithful to others. Because when you're loved, and when you're in love, we have no problem seeing things through. But faithfulness, faithlessness, I'm sorry, comes from our need for love going unmet. Being wounded and inflicting wounds. It's filled our world with a self-protecting, self-loving, and self-interesting behavior that governs our lives with the rudderless boats, boat of feelings, tossed to and fro by the winds of our changing desires. Because liquid modernity is just the fruit 
of a radical commitment to self. Because you and I both know when you love something, you're faithful to do whatever it asks of you. And in liquid modernity, the only thing that we can count on is our ability to be faithful to ourselves. To relentlessly pursue life, liberty, and happiness for ourselves. Because we believed the lie that the tempter has taught, or told us. He promised much better fruit, and in turn, we got a bitter counterfeit. So some of the fruits of faithlessness in our culture, I think, are this. Self-love, self-interest, and self-preoccupation. And sure, I want to be clear that there are times when those things are good and right. But I believe the fruit of them, putting our, putting our stock in those things, have led to this. You'll see this. Self-love has led us to loneliness, an epidemic of loneliness. Self-interest has led us to shame and dishonor when we've skirted our responsibilities and called it just, well, I just needed to take care of me. Or self-preoccupation has led to just a, a malaise, an indifference. I just wait, let this, one, let this one blow over. There'll be something else I gotta worry about tomorrow. Let this one blow over. Indifference. But faithfulness is love. And it's the pathway to love that we all long for. And until we commit to it, hear me, until we commit to faithfulness, we'll never have our need for love met. But what if this morning we had a self-awareness to acknowledge that we have a deficit of love, that our best efforts to get the love we all long for, that's worth fighting for and committing to, have failed. And as a result, there are parts of us inside Sub, uh, that we're, some were consciously aware and some subconsciously aware that we are running and hiding from love. And by ma- we're masking our pain by living faithlessly or maybe even worse, forcing faithfulness out of mere duty. Miles did an excellent job this morning. You're already aware of the areas of in your life where you, you're, the areas of your life that are begging for faithfulness. You already know the areas that you need to be committed to and dialed in. No, instead this morning, I just want to simply remind you and show you, maybe for the first time for some of you, the radical steadfast love of God and inspire you with simple, relatable images that when you're in the trenches, spur you on to run to God as the source and supply of the security the nutrients, the relational nutrients, the intimacy, the closeness, and ultimately the t- true transformative love that will keep you anchored and faithful in the midst of a storm. So with that, I'd love to get into the text and see if there's something that God has for us that will fill up our love tank. So we're about to read God's word. As the open your hearts and your minds, this will be the most important thing you hear today. And so let's give our attention to it as if that's true. The text comes from Hosea 2, 16 through 20 says this, and just for reference, this is God talking to his people who have been faithless. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and you will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of Baal from her lips, and no longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, 
The bow, the sword, and the battle I will abolish from the land so that they may lie down in safety. Just pause and feel what that might feel like. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice that we all long for. I added that. (laughs) In love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and will acknowledge the Lord. And you will acknowledge the Lord. We jump to 23. I will plant her for myself in the land. And I will show my love to the one that I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, this is the love, the type of love that we all long for. This is the love that God has for his people. This is faithfulness. Despite their faithless wandering and cheating on him from the beginning of time, he is faithful, unchanging, unwavering, steadfast, because, this is really simple, God loves us. God loves you. That's why he's faithful. And what I see in this text and what I think we all need are three relatable images and inspirations and truths about who God is and what faithfulness looks like that's going to ground you and root you when you get lost. Maybe some word pictures. Word pictures are helpful for me. I used to teach seventh grade. It's the only way I made it through that year is word pictures. There's three that I want to pull out from the text. God is a faithful lover. God is a faithful warrior. And God is a faithful gardener. So just pause. Which one of those stirs your heart a little bit? Before I get in and start filling this space, which one of those do you kind of lunge at? Which one do you feel like you need to be more like? Or which one this morning do you just desperately want God to be for you right now? I don't know what those are for you, but I hope as we continue on, there's going to be something the Spirit's going to lunge inside of you and say, I want that. I need that. Start first. God is a faithful lover. Why? Because he's compelled to faithfulness because his love will not allow him otherwise. You'll see this in verse 16, 17, 19 through 23 in the text. I will go. I will wipe Baal from their lips. They will be my people. I'm going to plant them. There's, there's this rich love. He can't help but go and chase down his, pe- his people whom he loves. This is true love. Instead of keeping his option open, God is consumed and compelled by his love for us. And he lacks no motivation or resolve to redeem and restore his love, even if she willingly ran off. His love is so great it cannot be stopped. It will not relent. It will not look back or move on. And unlike the lovers that we're accustomed to, whose hunger and passion fades when the excitement wears off, God is a lover that is unchanging. He stokes the fires continually to his commitment and devotion to you and invests in his bride for eternity. It's good news. But let's make this a little more relatable. God never misses a date night. You will never catch God scrolling on his phone when you're trying to tell him about your day. 
God attunes to your emotions and listens to every word that you have to say. God is planning and designing a life, a home, a paradise for you. God doesn't get bored. He doesn't get stressed. He doesn't get burned out. He doesn't get distracted. God knows your wants, your needs, your desires. God doesn't flatter. He gives you true encouragement. He gives you honest feedback. He doesn't flatter. He compliments you in the truest ways. He tells you the truth that you need to hear without compromising his delight in you. God wants to be with you. He wants to know you. He wants to enjoy you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to inspire you. He wants to cry with you. All we have to do is look at Jesus and we know this is true. But first I want to show us Isaiah 54.10. I think this scripture perfectly captures this. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be moved, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Wake up, your, wake up, shake your eyes a little bit. Sometimes we read the scriptures and it's just dry words on a page. This sounds like a poem. This sounds like something Shakespeare would have written. Sink, soak that in. Nothing, nothing will get in his way. I, I want us to thank God this morning that he's a faithful lover because, and you'll see here on the, on the slide, because, go to the next slide, please. Lovers are compelled by love, not duty. They pursue intimacy and closeness. They are single-minded and devoted. And they sacrifice themselves. No cost is too high. God is a faithful lover. That's good news. And because he is a faithful lover, he's compelled to faithfulness because his love will not allow him to do anything else. We see this demonstrated in the work of spirit in Jesus. Jesus loved his people. He came close to them. He enjoys them. He listens to them. Think of the Last Supper. As he's sitting around with his friends, John's reclining on his shoulder. He kneels down. He washes their feet. The tenderness of Jesus just before he marches to the cross where we ultimately see his work of love. God is a faithful lover who meets your deepest longings. But this love changes us, but we've chosen other loves. We have other lovers' names on our lips. In our sleep, we've been talking and calling out other names of lesser loves who have tempted us. And that is why God is not just a lover, He's a fighter. A faithful warrior, because no love comes without a fight. God is a faithful warrior. He's disciplined and unwavering in his mission. He faithfully uses his strength to establish the safety that his love needs. We see this in 17 through 18. We don't explicitly see the battle in the text that we read, but we see the effects of a victorious warrior who's disciplined and obedient, resolute in his mission of love. He takes action, not unjustly, but justly, to defend and protect, provide safety for his people. His power is channeled against the enemy of, faith, of, faith, uh, the enemy of faithful love, and he provides a safe place for his people and wipes the name gently of other gods from their lips. 
Thank God he's a faithful warrior because he's disciplined and skilled. He's unwavering in his mission. He sacrifices his life willingly. And his strength deters other strength and creates safety. There's, this is all over the scriptures. I could read it to you all day, but a few to highlight. Exodus 14, 14, Yahweh will fight for you, only have to be silent. Time after time we see Jesus say to his, his followers, I only do the will of my Father. I am single-minded in my mission. But I believe the most beautiful place that I found in the scriptures this, this week as I was preparing is Zephaniah three seventeen. Breathe this in. Don't just read past it. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. And in his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. The mighty warrior who saves. Jesus himself models the faithful warrior as he marches to Calvary. Disciplined to do only the Father's will. He is equipped as the only warrior capable of defeating his foe. And laying down his life willingly for his people, he saves them. To create safety and stability and peace for love to blossom. And that is why God is not just a lover, not just a warrior. God is a faithful gardener. As we see in the text, he heals and nurses and cultivates his people to full bloom. So just pause. What does full bloom for you look like? What is the most alive you've ever felt? God faithfully tends to his people to help them grow. He leads his people out of the slums, out of the disease-ridden garden beds where they were, into safety and plants them in a fertile soil where they will grow into a vine that produces much fruit. Don't we all want to produce fruit? Fruit that brings joy to the gardener and to his people. A gardener must be patient. Got to see my wife do this last year for the first time. She did a great job. She had to be patient as we planted our first gardener, garden. She had to be steadfast and disciplined. She had to be knowledgeable of what each plant needed so that, he can, so that God can faithfully tend to his garden in every season, in plenty or in winter, and give each plant, with all of their differences, the proper nutrients they need. Thank God he's a faithful gardener because, as you'll see, gardeners are hardworking to prepare the soil. They're diligent to know their plants and their needs. They're skillful and tender, they skillfully and tenderly prune and protect their plants. And they, they're proactive as they nourish and fertilize their plants in every season. If you read your Bible, you see God is a gardener because he plants a garden in Eden. He plucks up his people from Egypt, a really dry place, <laughs> uh, but despite the Nile, a really dry place, and brings them into the promised land. Jesus, in a garden, weeps through bitter tears on his path of faithfulness to the cross. And on that third day, he bursts out of the tomb into a garden. Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, demonstrates to us a faithful gardener when he leans down and he protects the woman accused, 
He, he keeps the, the disease of hypocrisy and legalism away from that woman. He prunes his disciples, his proud-hearted, self-centered disciples. He roots up the weeds of legalism and, and unrighteousness. And ultimately, he shines his ray on, of sunshine on all of us when he bursts out of the tomb on the third day. The Spirit worked in Jesus to be a faithful gardener, planting seeds of love and righteousness in our hearts. John 15 says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. This is the heart of God, compelled by love, sustained by his warrior strength. He faithfully creates a garden where we can abide with him and he can abide with his people and grow them into beautiful trees and flowers and vines that he intended them to be. Each with their own gifts, their own beauty and their own purpose, all harmoniously living in the garden together. God is a faithful lover, a warrior, and a gardener who never changes steadfast in his purposes, and faithful to see the job through. But what does this mean for us? That's beautiful. What does this mean for us? What are the commonalities between each one of these? How can we define what this looks like in our life? And as I looked at the three profiles, a gardener, a lover, and a warrior, here's what I kind of came up with. We break it down into our head, our heart, and our hands. Here's what all three of those have in common. In their head... They are fixed and unwavering on the most important things. And they're constantly recalibrating and reorienting themselves around what matters most. It's not a one-time thing. It's a constant recalibration. In their heart, they find joy in the dirty work (laughs) and the process. They find joy in the sacrifice that it takes. And ultimately, they find joy in the long game. Not being addicted to the highs but learning to love different chemical reactions that happen within us. And with their hands, this is simple, they get to work with other people. They get to work with other people. So what about Jesus, though? Because as we look, Jesus has embodied all of these fruits of the Spirit. And I think that what I just said embodies what the Spirit work needs to do in us. But specifically when it comes to faithfulness, this is what it looked like for Jesus. Jesus lived out faithfulness because his need for love with the Father was met to the other, uttermost. His relationship with the Father was steadfast, unwavering. It was true, and it provided him such a secure attachment that we all long for to the Father that allowed him to remain faithful in the face of a faithless world. Perhaps we could describe Jesus' faithfulness this way. In his head, he loved and was loved by the Father, so that he fixed his mind unwaveringly on his Father's will. And despite many distractions, was constantly recalibrating to what he had asked him to do. In his heart, Jesus' heart, he loved and was loved by the Father, so that he found joy in the process, the process of discipline, the process of sacrifice, and the ultimate long game of the reward of his father's delight. And with his hands, 
He loved and was loved by the Father so that he got to work and he did it with other people. Because when we love and have our love met, need for love met, then we have the security and nutrients needed to be lovers, warriors, and gardeners. Keeping our options open is just a way of hiding from love that we were intended to have with God. We fabricate faithfulness with self-love, which leads to infidelity to our commitments. Self-interest leads us to cowardice and dishonor. And lastly, self-preoccupation leads us to neglect the gardens in our life that need your attention. So the question is, what should we do? What should we do? If you don't hear anything after I say this phrase, I just want to say this clearly. Be steeped in God's love. Steeped in God's love. I'll tell you what I mean by that, but I want it steeped. If you ever made a cup of tea, you know what I mean. You need the right love. So the remedy is to steep ourselves in the undeserved, overwhelming love of God. Like tea, you must steep it, let it linger. You can't just microwave that. <laughs> tea has to linger in a cup and diffuse itself into the water slowly. But right now, we've got some pretty nasty tea in our cup, and we need to go to the Father and have our water cleansed so that the, the new tea can be put in and it can be steeped. We've talked about this in other fruits of spirit. We need grace, truth, and time. To hammer this home in my graduate classes I'm taking right now, and I'm learning about how people change in the brain and theologically, it says that in order to set boundaries with unhealthy and toxic people, that you must first develop a secure attachment that supports you and is empathetic with you outside of that relationship. Only through having your relational needs met through someone else a family member, a friend? Will you have the confidence and the security to detach from unhealthy patterns and people? This is because you need love to detach from toxic things. Because probably you got into that toxic situation. Not that it's your fault. That's their toxicity is not their fault. Your fault, I'm sorry. But we have given our, we look for those people for our love. And they can't meet that. And so until we find a better source of love, they are we run to them every time for our security. Right now, like Israel, we are attached to some toxic counterfeit loves, both internally and externally. I see this as our biggest problem. We're looking for love and security and support within ourselves and within the world. So they demand that we, when we, they demand that we bend our knee we don't have love other places. We don't have another place to go for love, and so we do it because that's where we've looked. Likewise, spiritually, if you want to break free from unhealthy, toxic, and destructive lesser loves that you're currently more faithful to than God, then you must cultivate a secure and supportive love and attachment to God. The only way to do this is not to do more things, or develop more skills, or add more habits, although those are helpful. The answer is to return to the Father in repentance. Admitting that those lesser, you've had these lesser loves and believe that he is the lover, the warrior, and the gardener in the story who smiles at you and calls you mine. Do you have space in your life to steep in that visual image? How can you reorient your days to create a secure attachment with the love of the Savior? I don't know what it is for you. 
I try to come up with some practical things, and I could have given them to you, but I think it'd be more powerful for you to actually pause right now and to ask God, what does steeping in God's love and his word and, and knowing him look like for you? Because I could give you things that overwhelm you, but instead, what are the next steps that God's inviting you to? And so actually, I'm going to make you pause right now and talk to God, not, not hear from me. What does it look like for you, mom, worker, leader, to steep yourself in the love of God, to create a healthier attachment and to detach from the toxic things in our life? As you all know, I used to teach seventh grade, and so I've got my show and tell bag here. You're going to wait in suspense as I pull some things out. What's been most helpful for me, I'll just give you one tidbit to do this, is I surround myself with physical items that remind me of faithfulness. You know, you have your wedding ring. I've got a necklace on that's got a key. <laughs> the older I get, the che cheesy things just work. This is reminding me of God's promises or a key that take me out of the, the jail of doubt. <laughs> I was gifted this. This is a cubits. This is something that Noah would have used to measure when he was building the ark, the faithful work it would have taken to build the ark. Keep this in my office. This is a picture of Paul's missionary journeys. Oftentimes I forget it. I don't, I don't see it all the time. It's sitting on my desk. But what for me, it helps me, is when I see the foot traffic that he would have had to put in in his faithfulness. One of the last things I'll pull out, and I'll say one of the most helpful practices in steeping me in the love of God, besides being saturated in his word and community, has been praying the Lord's Prayer and to slowing down and enjoying it. Something that has helped me do that is a set of prayer beads. They each have a purpose. I know some of you may be Catholic, and you have this, this is part of your life. Some of you, this may feel foreign. The point of this is there's nothing special in these. But each one of these is part of a petition of the Lord's Prayer. That when I feel lost, that my cup of tea has gotten a little dirty, I've recenter myself back and I work myself through each one of those. I don't know what it is for you, but these are ways that I've steeped myself in the love of God. The next thing I just want to ask you to do is be a lover, gardener, and a warrior. I read them earlier, but in your head, be lo loved and be loved by God in an unwavering way and fix his mind on his purposes. In your heart, love and be loved to reorient yourself that the process of discipline and sacrifice, there's joy in it. And with your hands, love and be loved by God. Find people around you who are going to remind you of that love and just get to work. Lastly, I just want to encourage you, this is my last thing, yield to the Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, then this is simple. The spirit of faithfulness has been sealed within you if you've placed your faith in Jesus. You have it right now. You don't need to hear anything else from me. So we just must identify when we've allowed ourselves to be taking control, taking control away from God, and just say, Holy Spirit, I've walked from you. Would you empower me today? Oh, two seconds later. Oh, I need to do it again. Oh, 
end of the day. I need to do it again. Oh, oh, I see I've taken control of this. I'm going to do it again. And it just looks like this. It says, Jesus, I have taken control of my life. I confess that to you. Would you now fill me with your spirit? I, I, I need you. Would you take control? It's simple. And I would say, if you, if you forget everything else that I say today, you might use that more than anything else. So moms at home, when you're losing your cool, take a mommy moment. Steep yourself in the love of God. Reorient your head, your heart, and your hands, and to yield to the Spirit. Employees, when you're tempted to slack off and shirk responsibilities, steep yourself in love. Head, heart, and hands. Breathe in God's grace and to, and to be filled with the Spirit. And maybe this is the most potent one. Spiritual leaders in our community who may be exhausted and tired from seeking to be faithful in a very long season. Wondering how to lead and stay faithful when you don't know which topic to press into or what, how to say the right thing to the right person going through a hard time. Take a moment. Steep yourself in the love of God, the persevering, unchanging love of God. Reorient your head, heart, and hands. And to take a deep breath. With time, we'll become more attuned to the Spirit's work and steeped in His love. I've got enough time. I'm going to share this last bit. I couldn't leave without sharing you, uh, a quote, my favorite quote on faithfulness. It comes from the patron saint of Enneagram 2s, of which I am one, Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. So if you know those books and you know your Enneagram, then you know that he is the most cool two that has ever lived and a picture of what two-ness looks like in the world. But he says this, it's like the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really matter, full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, but in the end, it's only a passing thing, the shadow. And even the darkness must pass. A new day will come when the sun shines. It still it will shine out all the clearer. I know now folks in those stories, I don't know what story you find yourself in. You do, though. Had lots of chances of turning back. Only they didn't. And they kept going because they were holding on to something. That there's some good in this world and it's worth fighting for. Steep yourself in love. Be faithful and full of faith in your head, heart, and hands, and yield to the work of the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just do that now. We take a deep breath, and we say, we have taken control of ourselves. We confess that to you. We ask, God, that you remind us and steep us in your love right now, and take control of us in the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name we pray, amen.